It's not because of Jehoram. It's because Jehoshaphat was with him that Elisha was willing to give them guidance. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So we are in chapter three of Second Kings, and you know sometimes we like to go through two chapters or five chapters if we're really up to it on a on a Tuesday night. But this chapter alone kind of tells an isolated story, and it makes a lot of sense to just stay in this lane because Elisha, the prophet, has just taken over from his mentor, Elijah. Uh, And at the end of the last chapter, at the end of chapter two, we do see Elisha doing a few miracles, namely that he parts the Jordan River just like Elijah did. And that really sets the tone that, uh, that Elijah has, that the power of Elijah is now on Elisha. And we did also talk about how Moses, who split the Red Sea, handed over his power or his authority over to Joshua, who split the Jordan River. And then Elijah split the Jordan River and handed his authority over to Elisha, and he split the Jordan River. And so there's a lot of parallels between Moses and Joshua and Elijah and Elisha. But this is really the first chapter of Elisha's ministry. Even though he performed miracles and he impressed some of the other prophets, this is really the first first time we see Elijah in action in his new role as he's taken over the authority from Elijah as Elijah got caught up into heaven. So that's what we're going to find out, what that looks like tonight. So let's get going. Now, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. So what we have here is uh, Jehoram is now king. He has taken over the kingdom from his brother Ahaziah, who did pretty much nothing and was cursed and died. And he's taking over the throne from his brother. And also he is following in his father's footsteps, Ahab, who happened to be the worst of the worst in terms of kings. And this is what it says about him. And this is unique because every king we've read about so far in the northern kingdom of Israel the phrase goes like this, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, just like his father. And then it usually follows up with sinning, just like Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Now, this is unique. 
He says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. And so he's still not a good king, but he's not quite as bad. So baby steps, I guess, when you're trying to make the right decisions. But what's interesting is he didn't destroy the idol. He just put it away. And you'll actually see this later on. But he puts away this, this idol that Ahab and Jezebel had made, and he hides it. But it says, Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So we find out that he's still evil. He's still not a good king. He still leads the people of Israel astray. He's just not quite as bad as Ahab. So, I mean, as bad as Ahab is a pretty high bar for evil, so he didn't quite make it. So good for him. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 1,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against Israel. So we had actually talked about this a little bit before in one of the previous chapters, because Moab rebelled against Israel in the tax that they were paying when Ahaziah became king, Ahab's first son and Jehoram's older brother. But Ahaziah didn't do anything. He didn't really address it. So Moab is still rebelling against the tax that they owe Israel. And just for reference, Moab, they're like loosely related to the Israelites in that they're descendants of Lot. Abraham's nephew. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? So Jehoshaphat has already been roped into a battle against God's plan with Ahab, and he's about to do the same thing. What you find out about Jehoshaphat, and especially in Chronicles when it spends a little more time on him, is that Jehoshaphat is a really good king who cares about God's will. He just is really bad at discernment. And I think that we all, either we are that person or we know that person who they really, they have a heart for God, they love God, but they cannot seem to put themselves in situations or surround themselves with people who are wise. And they keep falling into traps because they just don't have good discernment. That's what Jehoshaphat is. He loves God. He cares about God. He wants to follow him. But he's just really bad at making decisions on his own. And so he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. And he said, which way shall we go up? Now, in some ways, this is noble. He's trying to reunite the kingdoms of Israel and Judah uh, and see each other as one people again. But he just doesn't understand the evil of the northern kings. And he gets roped into stuff he shouldn't get roped into. And so he answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on the roundabout seven, uh, they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, for the, for the animals that followed them. And so these guys have been roped in by the northern king of Israel, by 
uh, Jehoram. And they get their armies caught into a place on this journey as they go to march against Moab. And they go to a place where there's no water and the armies are dying because they don't have access to drinking water. It's important. You kind of need that to live. And so this this is where it gets interesting because you see the different attitudes of the people here. So you get to see who is really in love with God and who is in love with themselves. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of, king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout for seven days. There was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three, th- three kings together into the hand of Moab. So King Jehoram whose idea this was, and who was leading the march, blames God for his own failure. And he complains that there's no water for the army on the route that he takes them on. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So the the interesting thing is, Jehoram is throwing his hands up in the air and saying, it's God's fault, even though I did this, which we all know someone like that too. If things are good, it's because of me. If things are bad, it's because of God. But Jehoshaphat, who is a good king and lacks discernment, has learned one thing in his time being the king of Judah, is that he's not very good at discernment. So he asks the prophets, for God's will, because they're the ones who are able to deliver it to him. And he's good at that. And so in the middle of this problem, he does what he should do. And he says, isn't there a prophet who can guide us, who can tell us what God wants us to know? That's a good idea. Ask God what he wants you to do. Or seek wise counsel from people whom you know understand God's will. It's a good plan. And so Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, here's the thing. Um, Elisha is a prophet in the northern kingdom. And this is really his first act as a prophet. But apparently, his faithfulness to Elijah and the miracles that he performed right afterwards had made, the rumor had made its way down to the southern kingdom and Jehoshaphat had heard of him. Wouldn't it be great to follow God in such a way that what God does is heard, whether not because you're advertising yourself, but because of what God is doing through you. I think that is exactly what's happening here. So Jehoshaphat understands who Elisha is, and he says, great, let's listen to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I, done, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your mother, of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of the king of Israel said, For the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So Elisha comes to the kings. He sees Jehoram, who is evil and doesn't follow God. And Elisha writes him off. And he says, Why would you even ask me here? What's the point? You don't trust me. You don't believe in God. You don't trust God. Why don't you go ask the prophets you will listen to of false gods? Because you don't care what I have to say. And King Jehoram's response is, oh, God has brought us here to this place. No, Jehoram, you led us here to this place. But 
He's blaming God for his own troubles and for his own decisions. Then the next thing that happens is interesting. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician. So, it's not because of Jehoram, it's because Jehoshaphat was with him that Elisha was willing to give them guidance. This reminds me a lot of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was constantly under people's thumb who didn't trust God appropriately, whether it was his brothers or whether it was Potiphar or whether it was the guards in the jail cell. But wherever Joseph was, people were blessed because Joseph consistently followed God and was always humble. And so Jehoshaphat's presence blesses Jehoram. That's the kind of guy I'd like to be. I've got a lot of work to do. But the next thing is interesting. Elisha, when he decides he's going to give, give them news and give them a message, he asks for a musician. And this is what happened. It says, then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, I'm surprised we don't talk about this more often. Because this is pretty powerful. Elisha wants to connect with God so that he can give them a message, and he asks for a musician. And when music is played that glorifies God, he draws close to God. I mean, this is exactly why we have worship music in church services. It can draw us closer to God. I mean, music itself is even, interestingly, seven notes on a scale completion, just like seven days of creation. I mean, music drew Elisha close enough to God so that he could give the message that they desired. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I think that's good enough. That's pretty profound as it is. And when we go and enter into a worship service and music is played, I think we should have that in the back of our heads, saying, what have we come here to do? came here to draw close to God and to each other. And that's a place to do it and a great way to do it according to the scriptures themselves. The one that I usually talk about is when David would play the harp for King Saul to get rid of the demons. And so music that honors God got rid of the demons of a tortured man when someone who is anointed by God played it. In this case, someone who is anointed by God is asking for music to draw closer to him. I think worship is incredibly important. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall, see, shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. So what goes on is Elisha says, what you need is water. Great. Dig some ditches because tomorrow when you wake up, there's going to be water everywhere. It's been a dry run for seven days. They haven't had any water. They're dying. 
But Elisha says, when you wake up tomorrow, there will be water. This is also interesting because this is the first act of Elisha's real ministry dealing with the king. And Elijah, his mentor's first act in dealing with the king was causing a drought. And Elisha brings that full circle and shows that he has the same authority that Elijah had. But instead of a drought, he ends one and brings water to this valley. And interestingly, he does it for a king that put away the, the idol, the, the idol of Baal. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when the Moabites heard the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, then they stood at the border. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, the blood is the king's. Uh, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. So what goes on is Elijah's first act is to bring water in this dry ravine. And it happens. And they get strength from it. But the enemy that they're marching against comes up and they see red. And they think it's blood, probably from the clay in the earth. And they think it's blood. And now they think that the armies of Israel and Judah and Edom have all fought against each other and they're just going to go get to go in and plunder from all of their enemies destroying each other. This also sounds like Gideon when God just kept reducing the number of Gideon's army and then he just had them bang metal together and the enemy got confused and they killed themselves and Gideon won a huge victory with 300 soldiers. So no, Moab... The king of Moab thinks he's just going to get to to plunder everyone and just raid the camp of all the goods and, and come away with a victory where he didn't even have to fight. So they let their guard down. And when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Ker-Hereseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took the eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall, And there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. Now this is an odd ending. But the king of Moab sees that victory is not in his grasp, but he thinks maybe he can just get to the king of Edom and at least take someone out. And so he takes his best forces and he heads over to the king of Edom and it doesn't work out. And he sees that victory is in no way going to happen for him. And out of his 
pagan ideals and faith, he thinks the best way to earn favor with their false gods is to as a human sacrifice. And so he sacrifices his own son. And the people of Israel see this and basically go, that's enough. We're out of here. Uh, and they don't really complete the battle and nothing really happens. Uh, so there's all kinds of loss. They've destroyed land in, in Moab. They've certainly made them pay for their rebellion against the tax. But there's no real victory for anybody and especially for the Moabites, the king lost his predecessor due to sacrifice. And it's just kind of an awkward ending, like the first Lord of the Rings movie, where it doesn't, it just stops. And so that's chapter three. And it ends on just a cheery note. So <laughs> let's not stop there. Let's just kind of recap what the important things were as we go through this. One, it's Elisha's first real act as a prophet to the king. And he, this is his opportunity to show that the authority from Elijah has been given to him. He's shown it to the other prophets, but he hasn't shown it to the king yet. And so his first act as a prophet before the king is to do the opposite of what Elijah did to Ahab. Elijah's first act was to cause a drought. Elisha's first act is to bring water to the army. So you see the, the parallel between them and how it comes full circle. The other important things are Jehoshaphat's love of God allowed blessings for those around him. So even though Jehoram did not have Elisha's attention, out of respect for Jehoshaphat's love of God, Elisha went on with this. And so it is possible to be a blessing to those around you, even if they are opposed to God. And that's a good thing. And then the last major bullet point would be the importance of worship, and specifically musical worship, and how it can connect you to hear the word of God. And that's what Elisha did. He requested music to connect him with God so that he could hear the word of God to give it to Jehoshaphat and Jehoram. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for this chapter. Um, thank you that we're on a day where we celebrate love. And on that day, we have decided to gather and spend time in your word because you're number one in our hearts. God, help us to make that true. And because of the love we have for you in our hearts, that we can be a blessing to those around us and who need to know who you are. Help us to be bold when we need to be and gentle when we need to be so that those who need to hear your message have the opportunity to hear it as they need to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.